0: If you sow, you will reap. And what you sow, you will reap. Amen? If you sow discord and calamity and gossip, then guess what you're going to reap? Discord and calamity and gossip and sin. But if you sow faithfully, if you sow gospel seed, if you sow according to what the Bible teaches, then you will reap the blessings of God eventually. There's, There's time that it takes before a harvest actually comes in. He promises that there will be fruit, but fruit over time, okay? Parenting is an easy analogy for this, right? When you have a kid, I remember when we had Marie and we were in the hospital. Marie's my oldest. I remember when we had her and we were in the hospital and I saw her in her little, I don't know what those things are called, baby warmers or something, you know, the the thing that they bring her out in, bassinet maybe. I saw her in that and I thought, wow literally everything just changed for at least the next 20 years. Okay, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Everything. Everything just changed. If, and if you raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, especially when they're little, you feel like there are a lot of fruitless days, don't you? I, I imagine the farmers do too. I put the seed in the ground and we watered it. and ain't nothing happened. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Nothing, I don't see anything. I don't even see a sign that something might be happening, okay? And there's still all kinds of unknowns and things out there, but you're just trying to be faithful and tend. And then years later, years later with your kids, right? Years later, you see something and you say, oh, I think that might be fruit. <laughs> I think it might be. I think I might see it. Maybe. And then over the course of their lives, you see more and more return. God promises there will be fruit. In other words, God promises prosperity. But he says it will take time. That's why the Bible says in due season we will reap. In due season. So you don't expect to just put the seed in the ground and take it right away. You don't expect... 99 times out of 100, to share the gospel with somebody, and then they immediately repent and believe right away. But you still share faithfully. You still proclaim God's truth. You tell them where they're breaking the laws of God. You proclaim to them the good news about Jesus Christ. You show them the whole scripture. You make sure that they understand what sin means. You make sure that they understand why Jesus had to die because they are sinners. You make sure all of that's come to truth. And eventually, God promises he will bring growth. It just takes time. It just takes time. Today we're going to consider another idea, another concept out of verse 7. Look there again at verse 7 with me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. But not just... if If you maintain in the idea of an agricultural metaphor here, which is what we're talking about here, when you put the seed in the ground... Does the same amount of seed come out of the ground? If I plant one seed, do I get one seed? No, of course not. You can think about that in in the terms of any plant at all. Let's let's do something easy and just think about it in the terms of kernels on a corn. A corn? An ear of corn. There it is. My bad. We got it now. A corn. Sounds like North Louisiana, doesn't it? But if we think about it in those terms, we, we put one of those kernels into the ground as a seed. And what produces? Well, if you took care of it right and you you took care of the plants right and you watered it and you tended it as you should, then it produces one ear of corn? No, many, right? Five, six, seven, eight, more potentially. And how many seeds are on each one of those? I mean, I don't know the answer to this question, but a lot more than just one. This This is an important principle for us to understand. What you sow into the ground, you will reap more of it. That's a biblical principle, okay? What you sow, you will reap more of it. we got to remember that. And you could call this a lot of different things. The, the words that we're going to use is the multiplication maxim. Ooh, you, it feels good. Doesn't you like that alliteration right there? It's this idea that what you put into the ground, you pull more of that thing out over time. It's not complicated. We could think about it in, in these terms, God uses these exact same principles in us and in the world for his glory. And there's an interesting way that he does that. If you remember, the Bible promises that if we follow the Lord, that he will pour his blessings out upon us to how many generations? You can say it, we say it like every week, to a thousand, right? But if we reject the Lord, he sends his curses upon us for how many generations? Three or four. Which one wins between those two? Easy math. God and his blessings win, right? God and his people win over trajectory. And I believe that that is God, by his grace, also restraining the degree that we sow wickedness and sow goodness into his kingdom. Okay? Okay? I believe these principles are universal and they apply both ways. In other words, when you sow discord and sin, there will be an increase that you reap as a result of sowing discord and sin, right? And some of us can see that playing out in our own lives. You see that pop up. It's true. But it's not near the ratio if we sow faithfully. And you've seen that principle apply in your life as well. God promises to multiply to his advantage Grace. Grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, for his people. We've talked about this concept a lot, the idea of, of a multiplied harvest of what we put into the ground. And we see these principles playing out in the Bible over and over again. First Corinthians chapter three verse six. We say this passage all the time, but you can write it down if you want to remember the reference. Paul planted what? Apollos watered, and then God gave the growth. In other words, who's the multiplier? Who controls the multiplication factor? who gives the growth? God does. And by his grace, he sends his growth out exponentially for those who are faithful to him, and he restrains evil. And he restrains evil. He holds it back. In other words, God's people have the advantage in this world that if we will be faithful to just trust him in this Principle, to follow his words, his commands, to sow according to his words, his commands. He promises to lay it out exponentially and he promises to restrain the amount of evil that we sow as a result of our own wickedness. Do you see the goodness of God in this? This is amazing things for us to get through. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12, if you want another example of this, then Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Imagine if principles like that were applied to our faith. Imagine, imagine if we understood this concept all the way down deep and we believed it. God promises that if you're sowing faithful discipline into your children, you will reap it a thousand times. He promises. God promises that if you teach and instruct those in the fear and admonition of the Lord, you will reap it a thousand times. And God promises when you screw it up, he'll restrain it. You'll still reap, right? That's just Bible. You'll still reap, but he'll restrain it. That's goodness and that's grace. Now, there are some objections to this as a general principle. Because some might take this and they might say, sweet, so if I obey the Lord, I'll only have blessings my whole life, right? No. (laughs) No. And if you came to Sunday school this morning, we talked about that explicitly for the last little bit of class. The idea of adversity and trials and difficulties coming into your life as a good gift from God for the purpose of refining you, for the purpose of burning away the dross. In other words, there are calamities that come upon you, maybe that you didn't sow into your life, but they're still there because sin is in the world and trials and adversity and difficult come from God as a good gift to refine his people. Yes, that's true. Think about it just like this. Um, Have you ever noticed in South Louisiana, of course you have because you live here, I'm not from here, so this was a new phenomenon for me whenever I first moved here, but have you ever noticed that we burn our sugar cane fields here? Yeah. Why do we do that? Well, no, this is not, thank you, appreciate that. Rhetorically, rhetorically, why do we do that? We do that because whenever we burn them down, what does it do to the soil? It puts carbon and nutrients and all kinds of good stuff back into the dirt again. Have you ever seen a forest after a forest fire? What happens shortly thereafter? Yeah, there's a a lot of chaos and destruction that's there for quite a long time. But what happens a little while later? It comes back more vibrant and more grown and more more well-doing than it has in previous times. Have you ever noticed that areas around the world, like agricultural areas that exist near volcanoes, do incredibly well? because of the the nutrient-rich soil in which they live. In fact, some of the most beautiful plants that you could find are on the islands of Hawaii, which is basically volcano dirt, (laughs) okay? But yet there's so much nutrients for them to pull out. Out of that destruction, out of that chaos, out of that death, comes revival. This principle applies true for the church, too. I mean, think about the early baby church, I mean, yes, they were experiencing exponential growth and revival. Yes, that's definitely true. It was almost like everybody Paul talked to was just like, well, I'm convinced. Like, it just just seemed like that kept hidden. But they also experienced death, trials, persecution, again and again and again and again. And what was birthed out of that? A church that started with 50 is now 2.5 billion. Billion with a B, okay? Okay. That's the growth strategy of the Lord. He sends us difficulties. He sends us trials. He intentionally gives us the gift of adversity in our lives so that we would be more fruitful. Right? Just apply this personally in your own life for just a moment. In the times in which God has given you trials, given you difficulties to walk through, and you faithfully did so, did you not come out on the other side better and stronger than you were before and more faithful than you were before? I remember tithing when we had no money. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there before? No, Lord, you don't understand, though. We have, in terms of money, we have no money. Okay? Well, there's none there. And the Lord says what? Do it anyway. Trust me. Okay? Yes. Amen. And he blesses. Lord, I don't know if I can discipline this kid again. I, I, my hand is tired. My arm is tired. Like, what are we? I don't know if we can do this again. And you're called to trust the Lord. And given time, you will see the fruitfulness of such. You can trust him. Yes. God promises to prosper his people if we faithfully obey him in these things, but he does not promise to do so completely without adversity, completely without persecution. In fact, there was, uh, I can't remember the name of the island off the top of my head, but there was a martyr who went by himself to an island of people who had never been reached by the gospel. They were cannibals. Y'all signing up for that? They were cannibals. And he said, they've got to be reached for the gospel. And so his boat landed on the island. He jumped off the the boat. He went to go present himself to them, and they killed him. And you can use your imagination from there. Another group, this is the best part, decided they would go later. (laughs) Okay? They said, no, we have to reach these people for Jesus. We have to go. And they went on the boat and proclaimed the gospel to these people who heard it. And then received it. And now those people follow Jesus. The seed that went into the ground and died and returned a harvest 100 fold. I did not say that there would not be difficulties in these lives. I did not say there will not be adversity and trials in this life. But I am saying that fruitfulness follows faithfulness a thousand times. A thousand times. And you see, if we understand something, that we are not simply individuals, but a people, then that changes the way that you live. You see, if we think of ourselves as only individuals, then we apply these principles on only an individual level. And we say, God, I've been sowing, but I'm not seeing the thousand times yet. I'm not seeing it. But you know who will see it? Your children. Your churches the people around you, your people around you who are watching your life and watching you faithfully labor day in and day out. They will receive it. Do you see what I'm saying? If we stop thinking of ourselves as just individuals and little cogs in this great machine and remember the promises of God that he says he will and he does. You are here because someone was faithful. That's it. You're here. Maybe it was your mama. Maybe it was your daddy. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was your granny who was like, no, we're going to church today whenever you were little. I don't know. But you are here in this room today because somebody other than you is faithful. And you received that blessing. And now your children and those within your spheres of influence are receiving it as well. You see? Again and again and again and again. When you look out and see The potential futures. And the potential blessing. The promise of a thousand times. Again and again and again. Remember there are trials there too. And they might be for you. They might not be. But that does not negate the promise. That God said that he will pour out his blessings upon you. His grace upon you. And he will love you as such. Now. We can chat about other things too. We've already said this a little bit. This does not only apply to blessings, but it also applies to the, to the curses as well, right? You sow wickedness, you reap what? Wickedness. You sow lies, you reap lies. You, show, you sow discord and, and, and broken relationships, you will reap discord and bro- broken relationships. This is not a difficult principle to apply, right? If you are a jerk, <laughs> then you will receive... Jerks. That's, that's how it goes. It, it, will, it will affect you. It, slanderers who sow little seeds of doubt and suspicion into the hearts of people, eventually that grows up and matures and it, it splits churches or church plants, you know, if you want to look at it positively, however you'd like to say it. But all those things are true. But we as God's people, we as God's people, we need to take a moment and, and guard ourselves a little bit here, right? Because if you let that bitterness take root in your heart, eventually it starts to grow. Does it not? And then what does that growth do? It multiplies. The same principles apply here. The same principles apply. That multiplication hits and you reap more and more of what you sow. A few tiny seeds of lust, if unconfessed and unrepented, do what? They turn into a full-blown addiction that now you can no longer control. That takes over your entire life. A few tiny seeds of of doubt eventually blows forth into a full-blown apostasy. You reap what you sow. You must confess. You must repent. You must grow in those things. We have to remember that these principles apply true across all spheres as well. Jesus made the the promise very clear. The Bible makes it very clear the promise very clear about Christ himself, that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Meaning, God's multiplying again and again and again and again and again and again, and we can trust his promise. We can see how far forward it goes. And it multiplies even far beyond our lifetimes. If you want to write this down, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. You can write it down. You can just listen to me. I'm going to read it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. We talked about this several times already. This is the scripture we've referenced. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. How long is a generation? You ever thought about that before? That's about 30, what? 35 years, roughly. I think we could say that's about a generation. Okay, something like that. 30, 35 years. It's a lot longer than that in the old, early Old Testament, but you know, we're talking about now. So a thousand generations. How many years is that? That's 35,000 years. That's multiplication. And that's a high degree. See, we've got to think long-term, right? We've got to think trajectory over time. We don't need to just think about right now, me, today, this moment, although both principles apply true. This is why it's it's better, if you can, to plant trees that produce fruit rather than just one-year crops. Why? Because the trees are exponential. They produce again and again and again, and they reproduce on their own. Think about it that way. And this applies to your spiritual life as well. I've had, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the last several weeks, months, about, that, that, that are dealing with just residual sin that continues to attack them in their life. It keeps coming up, it keeps coming up, it keeps coming up. And the principle of reaping and sowing applies there too. If you sow that sin, you're going to reap it. That's it. If you sow into that sin, you're going to receive it. You're going to reap into that sin. That's just life. That's how it plays. But if we remember this, we can also apply repentance in the exact same way. Amen? We can apply repentance in the exact same way. Because if you begin to sow repentance by God's grace, you receive it a thousand times. And you can trust his promises. But we have to make sure that when we're repenting, we're repenting the way that the Lord says to do it and not the way that we feel like we should. Okay? If you what? Confess your sins. Right? If you confess your sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you're beginning to confess and repent of your sin for the first time, that doesn't just mean, I'm not going to do that anymore. Amen. That's not confession. <laughs> okay? Okay? God, I'm changing my behavior. No, you're not. You're bad at that. That's why we're here. (laughs) That's why we're here in the first place. Because we're bad at changing ourselves. We need to be changed from the outside. You see what I'm saying? We need somebody to wash us, somebody to cleanse us all the way of our sin. And what the Bible says is that if we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Right? Which means... God, I won't do that anymore, is not enough. That's not confession. That's not repentance. That's not the biblical model. God, I I quit. I'm not going to do that anymore. No. You agree with the Lord about what you've done and that it's wrong. And if you need to confess to others, you do so. Then the Lord promises to cleanse. Do You see? Then the Lord promises to take away. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've been fighting with a secret sin? I know how to beat it. The Bible's told us. You've been fighting with, with a sin of lust. You've been fighting with a sin of greed. You've been fighting with a sin of, of self righteousness, whatever it could be. Pick one. Does it keep coming up? You've got fighting with a sin of addiction that you thought you'd never beat in your entire life, and you're still fighting it, and now somebody's convinced you that it's a sickness that you'll never be free of? They're a liar. It's not a sickness. It's sin. Okay? And you can beat it by the power of Jesus if you believe this promise and you obey it. I'm not messing around here. I see too many of my brothers and sisters who give their lives to a false gospel because they believe they'll never be free of their sin. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? Jesus says that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? All of it. So trust him. So trust him. If you've sinned against someone, then confess to them. If they've been affected by your sin, then confess to them. If you need somebody to talk to you about it, you've got a pastor who loves you. And I would love to help you fight through this. But until you confess and repent, you will continue to fight it. And here's the thing. We say this so often. That word confess, right? That word confess is an ongoing action in the Greek. It's not just one time. But it's perpetual, which means each and every time it comes up, you confess it again. Hey, I'm sorry I did this thing again. Please forgive me. Amen. All right, moving on. Hey, I'm sorry I'm still fighting this sin. It's not doing great. I'm still trying to fight it. Amen. Okay, moving on. Jesus, please forgive me. I've sinned against you, and this is my specific sin. You list it to him according to his words, and you move forward from there. And the Bible says that Jesus forgives you and cleanses you. That's it. You don't have to be a slave anymore. And he promises not only to forgive and cleanse you, but he promises that you will reap the benefits of his kingdom for the next thousand generations. Not just talking about you. I'm talking about all of God's people and your progeny for the next 35,000 years. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And so we as God's people must believe his truth. Therefore, verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. What is the doing good? That. (laughs) The sowing. The confessing. The repenting. Don't you see? That's why he tells you don't get tired of doing it because you get tired of doing it, right? Because I'm I'm doing it again, (laughs) right? God, I'm doing it again. (laughs) You feel tired of it. Don't grow weary in good doing. God I'm I'm doing it again. God I'm I'm tired of raising these kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's 3 a.m. I got no fear and admonition left. I'm done. Right? No. Do not grow weary in doing good, because eventually you will reap. Pour out yourself, and trust in the thousand times harvest that is to come. You might not see it, that's true, but you'll see some, more than likely, and your children and their children and the generations that come after them will definitely see it. We've got grandparents in the room right now who are watching their children raise up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's got to be special, huh? Amen I want to see my great-grandbabies following Jesus that 's what I want. and by God 's grace, He tells us how, and we can trust Him for it. We can let us not grow weary of doing good. Now that means also that means also that right now it does take sacrifice, <laughs> right That's another reason that it says don't grow weary. In doing it. You don't automatically reap the harvest. You have to to wait. And that wait can beat you up and knock you down, but have faith in God's promises. Remember the the fish and loaves, the exponential thing that we see. Remember that the church in the world started with 50 people, okay? And now it's 2.5 billion with a B. You can trust his promises. You can believe them to be true. And then he goes on to say, verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to who? What's it say? Verse 10. Do good to everyone and especially who else? Those are the household of faith, the brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? Those people that you go to church with, those people that you're covenant church members with, which by the way, if you're not a covenant church member here, we have classes that are coming up at the end of October or the beginning of November. And if you want more information about that, you can talk to me right after church. Church membership is essential. You need it. And you need a body of believers that you're connected covenantally together. You can come to our class and learn more about what that means. But you know what's interesting here? There is a sense in which the hundredfold concept and the, and the sowing and the reaping applies to money. That's true. And we're going to talk about tithing in a little bit as well, but that's not all it applies to, okay? The, the sowing, the concepts of sowing and reaping are not just financial, although they are financial, but they're in all of life. And you know what? One of the things is that you can invest on that will never have diminishing returns is People. You, man, if the last 10 years taught us anything, your Roth IRA is not secure. <laughs> it's not. Your retirement is not stable. It will not always move up into the, there will be ups and downs and all kinds of issues. But the Bible promises, according to God's words, that we can trust and believe and we have seen to prove true is that we, when we invest in people, there are no diminishing returns. That's it. Do good to everyone, and especially the household of faith. We invest in people that we are in covenant church membership. Why? Because we believe in God's multiplication. Because we believe God can take that and knock it out of the park and increase it a thousand times. We invest in people outside of the church because we believe in God's promise of multiplication. Because the Lord of the Harvest intends to bless the world ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times, whatever He wants to do, if we would believe and sow. So, we should not just be consumers, right? We should not just be hoarders of our resources. We are stewards of them, and we sow them back into the ground for what purpose? God's kingdom that it would grow and advance more and more and more over generations and generations and generations to come. Plant, sow, and sow fruit trees. Make sure you're tithing, right? Malachi makes it very clear that if we, Malachi 3.10, we read this verse every single Sunday. If we believe the Lord's promises and we sow as he says, then he will open the windows of heaven. If we tithe, that's 10% of your income. If you believe that promise and you obey it, then he will literally open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until there is no more need. He also promises special blessings for those who give to the poor and care for the poor. Give and it will be given to you multiplied, plenty, but pressed down and shaken and running over. All those things are important. Maybe, okay, maybe this is you already. Maybe you've just started. Maybe you've been, you've been playing around in sin in your life for the last however many years, and you're just now course correcting and getting back on track. Maybe, maybe you've had some massive curveballs hit your life, and, and you're just now course correcting, and you're just now getting back on track, and you're trying to, you're trying to follow the Lord. You're trying to get back on your feet, and, and, and the only thing that you can do is, is get a job that doesn't pay great, <laughs> if you're just kind of stuck with it. Well, what do you do? You obey, and you trust the Lord. And he promises that he's going to do what? Bless it. He promises. And you can trust him. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be adversity and difficulties and obstacles for you to overcome along the way. But he promises to bless it. Start there. Trust the Lord and let God give the growth. That's the promise. You invest in your children's education. You invest in your children's not just education, but the formation of their whole being. Why? Because it's an exponential return. Because then they're going to take what you gave them and make it better. Amen? And make it better and pass on more of that to their children again and again over the course of generations. And there's all kinds of little simple ways that you can apply principles like this. Like if we're talking financially, I mean you got a big pile of debt, get the heck out of that. And and put savings away, but the Bible says that a person who loves the Lord, a, a godly person who loves the Lord, leaves an inheritance not just for his children, but for his grandchildren, for his children's children. That's what we should be laboring for. Leave them something. If you can afford to buy them a house, buy them a house, right? Man, how much of an advantage would that be? You start your kids on the ground with their first house ready to go. Let's go, baby. We got some dominion to take. Maybe that's unreasonable. Okay, I got it. Well, at least give them a start with, I don't know, an emergency fund or something, something to give them an advantage something to get them moving in the right direction so that they can move forward to maximize other people far more than them. I know of people who have started retirement accounts for their kids when their kids were like 10. (laughs) That's cool, man. That's exponential returns. And those are good ideas. Buy rent houses. I don't know. Figure it out. But trust and follow the Lord and believe His promises the same way we we lead and disciple others around us. You have people that you are responsible for. You have people that you hold influence over. You have opportunity to bring the Bible into their lives and you do it. Why? Because you trust God's promise. Because you trust his promise. Because he says he will provide an exponential return for it. And so you believe that he will and you follow it. Think about it like this. Because this applies the way I mean, this if we get this all the way down deep that God promises to multiply everything that we put into the ground he promises to do so if we get that way down deep and that's going to change a lot of the ways that we act and it's going to enable us to be risk takers more because we believe in God's promises hey I'm going to do this it's a little dicey I recognize that but I trust the Lord here we go and he, maybe it's going to work maybe it won't work I don't know but we're going to trust the Lord here we go you can, you can move in that direction now because God gives certain promises to his people and you believe them. Don't do something foolish. Talk to your pastor first. We've got church leadership here that can help coach you through these kind of things. But hey, there's ways in which we could do this. But this also works out in the terms of evangelism. Okay? Let's talk about that for just a moment. There seems to be, um, if we're talking in terms of evangelism, there seems to be um, you're either doing this or you're doing this. I suppose, or you're doing nothing. I suppose that's possible too. But let's just talk about the first two groups. In the terms of evangelism, for a long time in the Western church, we believed that an evangelist was someone who showed up at an event that was largely attended, that presented the gospel in a convincing manner, and that got people to raise their hand or stand up or something like that and affirm that they were a Christian. And then they moved to the next town and did the same thing, right? And that kind of repeated and repeated, and repeated, and repeated. Okay, cool, got it. I knew a guy, one time I met a guy who was advertising himself as an evangelist, and he said, I've set a personal goal for myself this year to save a thousand, no, a million people. And I was like, wow, (laughs) that's a lot. (laughs) And I don't want to get into the theological discussions around all that, you know, we could talk about that later. But his point was, he was trying to get a million people to follow Jesus that year. Let's think about this for just a second. Let's think about this. If you've got an evangelist that's running around trying to get a million people to follow Jesus all year long, and let's say that they successfully pull it off, after 20 years, how many people are following Jesus? 20 million, right? Because he's got his 20 million. Now, what we've seen proven from this methodology is we get a lot of shallow, into the pool Christian converts. Do you all know what I'm talking about? We get a lot of folks who, who affirm Jesus, who say that they follow Jesus, but they don't necessarily know any of the implications of their life. They're never responsibly, or they're never responsibly discipled. And as a result, maybe they're still a Christian, maybe they're not by the end of their life. It, it gets a little wild. We're not sure what happens. It's that big net evangelism. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus do that? No. Well, kind of. In some instances, he addressed big crowds, right? We saw that happen. And we don't know what seeds necessarily were sown in. But the the high point of the Bible that's drawn down really deeply to us is that Jesus had his 12 guys for three years. And those were his guys. He sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed sowed into them, called one of them Satan even one time. (laughs) Do you imagine that? I got my 12 guys. That one's Satan. The rest of y'all are cool, though. You know, like that one... I wonder how well that would go. It was good for Peter, though. He heard what he needed to hear. But he had his 12 guys, and he poured into them and poured into them and poured into them and poured into them. Now, only 2,000 years later, what do we have from those 12 guys? 2.5 billion with a B. I say about 50 because their households were probably included. There was probably some women present also. So it's not just 12. It's really about 50 there initially. Okay? From from about 50 to about 2.5 billion with a B. The same strategy can prove successful for you. Did you know that? You as a Christian, you can find three, four, five, whatever, however many people to disciple faithfully yourself for a year with the intention that they would do so after that. Now, this is, a, this is an evangelism strategy pulled from a man named Robert, I think it's Robert Coleman. Um, and he, he wrote this strategy specifically based on Jesus's evangelism strategy. That if you would be faithful to disciple just three people intensely over the course of about a year and expect them to do so after that, that that would multiply exponentially. At the end of about five years of doing so, your three would be about 200. And they would be fully formed as disciples of Jesus. They They would be well equipped, ready to move forward in following Christ in all of life. After about five years, you'd have about 200 or so. After about 10 years, do you know how many you'd have? This is fun. This is where exponential returns get really cool. After about ten years of doing this, if it was done faithfully, you would have about sixty thousand. You see how you went from two hundred to sixty thousand. After fifteen years, after fifteen years, you've got fourteen million with an M. And after twenty years, you have over three point five billion with a B. You see. But we give ourselves over to this form of evangelism that is showmanship and hands raised and numbers that we can count. And I don't think, while I don't believe that's entirely bad, and I do think that there's some fruit that comes from it in some instances, I think that's true. However, we've completely lost the second piece. (laughs) We must be faithfully pouring in to the lives of God's people intentionally that they may be discipling others. How do you know that you've really made faithful disciples? How do you know when they're making disciples? Because that's what the call is. How do you know that you're really making disciples when they're making disciples, when your disciples are making disciples? That's how you know. That's how you know. And Jesus was able to give us these instructions because he was future-oriented. He sacrificed the present for the future. He spent time with those people for the purpose of the intentions to come because he knew what the church was going to look like in 2,000 years. 2.5 billion with a B. He knew where we were headed, and we should as well. This applies to politics, too. Politics comes around, and we want the quick fix, don't we? If I can just get, it's election season, right? Right? Y'all voted early? Don't raise your hand. That's okay. But we we want this moment of, come on, if I can get my guy in the seat, everything is going to be better. Why is it that every four years, we still think that? (laughs) Every four years. If we could just, nope. What this time? This time? No, that's not true. Now, I do think it matters who is in the seat. Don't mishear me here. And I do think that there is a particular way that Christians are called to vote. I believe that that's true as well. But if that's all we're doing, we've already lost. See, Christians have to build a long-term strategy to change the world. And that's why for the first, I don't know, for the last 500 years, let's say it that way, for the last 500 years, everywhere the church grew, schools, universities, hospitals were planted. Why? Because the church had long-term trajectory goals. You want to change the world? Plant churches. Don't just hold evangelism rallies. Don't just hold get-out-the-vote rallies. You want to change the world? Plant churches. Start schools, start Christian schools, start distinctly Christian universities, and let those be trained up fully and educated well in the fear and admonition of the Lord and send them out to do the job. Do You see what I'm saying? It's a multi-generational strategy. uh, The truth is, listen, I love y'all. I'm 38, okay? I'm... I have jumped the shark, as people say. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm knocking on that midlife moment. I'm working real hard to keep learning stuff. But man, I'm working real hard, okay? But you know what I got? I got four kids. And I know, I know that they could do better than me. Whew. Sorry. And I know we could send them out far. And I know that we can do that with all your kids. This is why we're not making jokes about this kind of stuff. This is why we say that Christian education matters. And if if you've come to Sunday school, if you didn't come, at least listen to it online. Because we're talking about the formation of a whole human being. There are some of you who are in this room who didn't start following Jesus until you were 30, 35. And the Lord can bring you far, but he can bring your children farther. (laughs) Do you see it? He can bring those within the circle of influence, which you have influence, over farther. And he can build his kingdom farther. Those are the promises that we've forgotten. Because we want the flash in the pan, instant gratification, total transformation stuff. And that's not how God's multiplication works. It works over time. Very often through generations. So if you've got kids, amen. Have some more if you can. <laughs> Have some more if you can. And raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and be faithful to them and send them out farther. Farther than you could go because that's what God promises. And yeah, that does mean that for a little while, money's going to be tight. <laughs> yeah. And the days are going to be long. And you're going to be tired. And the thing, yes, all that's true. All that's true. But it's going to be okay. Because the Lord has a long-term plan, and He promises a thousand-fold return on your investment. This is why, if you just trace geographically throughout the world, everywhere, that distinctly orthodox, reformed Christianity was planted, those countries flourished as long as they held the principles true. They flourished. You want to know why the United States? Do you know that just within a couple generations of the United States being founded, that the quality of living in the United States was already better than England? Already. Do you know why? Because God blessed, because they believed God's promises and God blessed as a result of them believing his promises. In just a couple of generations, these people went from dying by the majority in the winters to having a better thriving and flourishing economy than they did from the countries in which they came. That's crazy. In just a couple generations, we can still believe those promises to be true today. Yes, it was a lot of work. Yes, there will be a lot of sacrifice. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, there will be sleepless nights. Yes, you will work hard. But God will bless it. And some of y'all are already seeing the fruits. Keep believing the promises. Pour your life out. And watch what God does. God promises it to be true, but we got to believe Him. And we got to obey and trust in His grace. Let's pray.